Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I am Rabbi Joshua Cahan, and today we're studying Masechet Shabbat, page 109, Daf Kuftet. The problem of healing on Shabbat is a very complex one for the Talmud. On the one hand, it is clear that there is some kind of prohibition on healing on Shabbat. There are multiple statements that various types of ointments, potions, etc. are forbidden because they are medication, and that this is in and of itself the reason for them to be forbidden. On the other, there's no clear rationale as to why. It, does, it doesn't fit at all into any of the established categories of malacha, of forbidden labor, and the early sources do not give an explanation. So it's quite hard to figure out how to apply these rules. This is compounded by the fact that there are clear limitations to the ban. Obviously, there is pikoch nefesh, the saving of life. Any situation where there is a danger to life, the rules are thrown out, especially with regard to medicine. And the rabbis tend to define this category of pikoch nefesh very, very broadly. But, there are also many types of remedies that have uses both for healing and for other purposes, especially since none of the scientifically developed modern types of medicine existed. So, one may bathe in hot springs because of arthritis, or just because it feels great. Orange juice may be to help a cold, but it is also just a popular beverage. So if healing is really forbidden, one would think that orange juice would be forbidden if you have a cold. But it feels twisted to say that the same action is okay or not, depending on how much you need it. Where the more you need it, the more forbidden it is. The Talmud ends up with two possible rationales, each of which is problematic. The first, the one that becomes the focus of attention in the post-Talmudic period, is that it is forbidden lest one come to grind something into powder to use as medicine, thus linking it to the melacha of tochen, grinding. But this neither explains why the prohibition garners so much attention, nor why it is applied equally to any kind of treatment, including drinks, bathing, and ointments. It is also clearly applied to using these remedies, not really to making them. Now, the other rationale is the general and vague idea of uvdin de chol, that medicine is simply a weekday type of thing which has no place in Shabbat. Now this, ironically, is probably the real origin, because this, for this prohibition dates back way earlier than our list of 39 forbidden labors. But it feels circular. Who said? What's a weekday about it? It's not like business dealings, which are clearly not in line with the spirit of Shabbat. On today's daf, we see several of these complex questions about healing raised. Rava tells us that certain kinds of salves are okay, but for those who are delicate, 
such that something normally, the, normally just a salve, would be healing, that thing is asur. In other words, we both have the same skin condition, how, but I am delicate and you are not. So, for you, this particular salve is per- permitted, and for me, it's forbidden. Rav Ashi is then pictured using the same remedy that was explicitly banned by his teacher Rava. To justify doing so, he turns to an even greater expansion of the already expanded category of life-threatening. Another category that gets raised is bathing in the Mediterranean Sea. The, the Talmud wants to differentiate between lingering and not lingering. If you jump into the Mediterranean Sea, which is quite salty, just for a minute and jump out, that's not enough time for you to have really he- healed. So you clearly weren't using it for healing. But if you go in and you stay, it's quite cold, so you probably didn't want to do that just for the fun of it. You must be using it as a remedy. But what that tells us is that the differentiation is actually not about whether or not you are using it as healing. It's not about what you intend. It's not even about, in many of these cases, whether for you it's healing or not. It's about what it looks like. Marit Ein. Look at the case of Ezovion mentioned in the next Mishnah. This is a kind of potion that is sometimes used as a remedy. And we learn that you can't use it as a remedy if it's not also used by healthy people. So you can use it as a remedy and and it can help you as long as there are some other people who drink the same drink for non-illness-related reasons. It's about whether it's apparent that I'm using it for healing, not whether I actually am or not. If it's not obvious, then maybe I can. This creates the weird situation where I'm essentially allowed to do some kinds of refuah, but not allowed to look like I'm doing refuah. A person with jaundice has to be much more careful not to use remedies because he has jaundice. It is actually externally, physically evident to others that he's ill, and therefore they will assume that he's doing refuah, which he actually is doing, but which would be okay if they didn't know it. So using these dual-use things is itself okay, as long as I don't look like I'm doing it for the reasons I'm actually doing it for. Now, here's what we need to understand about this issue of refuah. First, there are some things that are not, just not done by established practice, despite the fact that their legal basis is not clear or not even known. We just know. We know that there are certain things that are not part of what we do on Shabbat. The thing is that once we try to move to a very clear, established cut-and-dried logical system, all of these things that we just know suddenly feel like they have a lot less basis. And so we try to firm them up by finding a rationale, by pinning them to the clear baseline categories. 
But when we do that, we paradoxically erode them. Because once we've taken an action that we know to be forbidden, and we connect it to a category that's not its real home, it suddenly looks like it's a stretch. Really? It's really forbidden? Give me a break. If it's just uvde de chol, just that weekday thing, then if it doesn't feel obviously remedy-ish, it might be okay. If it's not actually a malacha, and if we can tell, admit that, then we could be saying something that's not quite as illogical as we might have, as we had first thought. We might be saying, Rufu'ah is really something that's not part of what we do. But we can do certain kinds as long as we differentiate. We do it in different ways. As long as we demark that it's not really Shabbistic. In doing so, what we do is we do what we need to do while preserving our experience of Shabbat as a special time, as an island in time that is distinguished in behaviors on all levels of our life. But in a logical system, that kind of aesthetic feels much harder to justify. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.